Uh, eighth commandment today, if you could open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, we'll read together verse 15. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. You shall not steal. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Our Father, we indeed come to you as folks that know our very hearts have the sins of thievery and deception. Father, may you teach us through your word and spirit what this commandment means and what it should mean. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The door of the jail cell slammed shut with a familiar kerplank. You know what that sounds like. Earlier that evening, the family had been visiting some friends, and as the adults played cards, the kids played together. The oldest son of the visiting family, six or seven at the time, uh, spotted the toy of his dreams, the perfect jet airplane. It was more than just a regular toy. This was a TWA liner with lights and working landing gear and sound, and just the right size to fit under a sixth grade or a six-year-old's first grade jacket. As the family got ready to leave, the plot went into motion, and the object of desire was hid under the jacket perfectly. As these things normally go, it was only a matter of minutes when the family got home that the plot was discovered. Mark, take that plane and get in the car. Fear and dread filled my soul as we headed back to our friend's house where I tearfully asked for forgiveness and they were so gracious. And walking back to the car, I literally thought to myself, this could have been much worse. But we got in the car, headed home, but instead of taking a right to go toward our home, my dad took a left and went to downtown Milwaukee, Oregon, circa 1964. It was like Mayberry. And he parked in front, right in front of the police station and said, I'm so sorry, son. I have no choice but to turn you in. And I'm sure with a seamless smile and a wink to the Barney Fife on, de- on duty, uh, I did my couple minutes of time. Now, you can be the judge on the parental wisdom of such a m- move, and I'm not preaching any way about what you should or should do, but I will tell you, it was effective. Stealing is serious. Serious enough that our Lord added it to his second table of the law, the eighth 
in our Ten Commandments. Now, if you take anything else away from our study of the Ten Commandments as a church at Redeemer, take this away. Remember the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 22, where the Bible says one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, they're never good in the, in the Bible, a lawyer trying to trick him said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says in verse 37 of Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang and depend all the law and the prophets. So, what does loving the Lord with all of your heart and soul and mind look like? It looks like the first table of the law, the first four commandments. And then, what does love your neighbor as yourself look like? And that would be the second table of the law, commandments 5 through 10, which we find ourselves this morning at commandment 8, the fourth of that table, you shall not steal. So the topic is stealing this morning, thievery. A simple outline this morning is we'll look at stealing in the Old Testament, we'll look at stealing in the New Testament, and finally, number three, we'll look at stealing overcome and conquered. So let's look first at stealing in the Old Testament. In Exodus 20, 15, as has been Uh, discussed already from the pulpit in this series, we have simply two words in this text. And really, it's one word and a a negation. It's significant in both Testaments that there is one single word used and translated as stealing. In the Old Testament here, it's the Hebrew word ganav. So the entire verse is simply lo tikanav. Lo tikanav is the entire verse. Lo being the negative. And then the T as a prefix tells us that this verb is in the second person singular. And that's significant because if we're thinking about the Lord writing the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone for everyone to see, it would seem that it would be in the second person plural. You all don't steal. You all, plural, don't steal, but that's not the way the Lord wrote it. All of them are, in fact, in second person singular that says, you shall not steal. Singular. There's a second kind of a connotation also of this verb that is very important, and that's what goes along with it is not just stealing taking something that doesn't belong to you, but it's done, and the force of the word is stealing done in secret, under shadow of darkness or deception. This is the heart of the thief the Lord is warning us here about. We could say that it's clandestine, scheming dishonesty, cloaked in internal covetousness and greed. 
the more this thief is separated from his victim, the better. If he can steal a credit card number without knowing the person, so much the better. This thief doesn't want violence or force. This thief is at the heart a coward. Isn't this how much of our stealing is done in secret under a cloak of darkness? Some of you may remember, and I'll look for gray-headed nods here. Some of you may remember a television show in the late 60s and early 70s called It Takes a Thief. There they are. The grays are going like this. And It Takes a Thief starred Robert Wagner as a jewel thief, world-renowned, that was caught. And instead of going to jail, the government cuts a deal with him and says, if you will steal for us around the world, you don't have to go to jail. So every episode was Robert Wagner using all of these elaborate disguises and deception and things to steal Uh, important things around the world that usually had been stolen and he was stealing them back for the government. But the Old Testament has another word that describes stealing, and it's a word that describes it as force and usually accompanied with violence. This is the robber, the highwayman, the pillager. This thief wants booty, but he also loves, and sometimes craves violence with his thievery. This is the rioter. This is the looter, the mugger. This thief will hold a man up by gunpoint, take his wallet, and for spite, hit him over the head with the butt of that revolver just because he wants to. Now, we don't need to analyze deeply to discover where both of this secret theft and a violent theft come from, especially if we've had children. What is playtime like at your house if you have a toddler at home? Especially toddlers with toys. Since we're on the Ten Commandments, did you know that there's a Ten Commandments for a child and his toys? We could also say a top ten list. We'll call them a top 10 list, and here they are. Number 10, if I see it in a commercial, it should be mine, and thou shalt buy it for me. (laughs) Number nine, if I like it, it's mine. Number eight, if I can take it away from you, it's mine. Number seven, if I had it a while ago, it's mine. Number six, if I say it's mine, it's mine. Number five, if it looks like mine, it's mine. Number four, if I saw it first, it's mine. Number three, if you're having fun with it now, it's mine. Number two, if you lay your toy down, it's mine. And finally, number one, if it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) Of course, any such violator of the aforementioned commandments may be subject to being scratched, bitten, or struck with said toy. That is the heart of a thief, a heart of a decepting person that is wanting something that's not his or hers. 
The old King James Bible says it best, I think, in Proverbs 22:15, that says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Many times our <clears throat> adult hearts don't stray far from that foolishness, does it? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> as, excuse me, as we're given a specific case law in the Old Testament, let's look at five specific types of stealing mentioned in the law of Moses. First, we have stealing of people, kidnapping. In the very next chapter, chapter 21, verses six, verse 16 says, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Death penalty for stealing men. There's also the stealing of land. We find <clears throat> moving of landmarks mentioned, where it was very easy <clears throat> to just move your landmark and confiscate your neighbor's property. Stealing of animals is big. The, almost the entire chapter 22 that we'll get there is around this, these laws. <clears throat> 22.1 says, If a man steals an ox or sheep and kills it or sells it, that's killing it and eating it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Just a couple verses later, we see that if the thief had the ox or the sheep in his possession, it was just a two-for-one, not a four-for-one or a five-for-one. But interestingly enough, verse 2 of, of Exodus 22 says this, if that thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. And this is our Texas Castle Law, also known as the Stand Your Ground <clears throat> Law. Stealing of wages, <clears throat> the Bible talks about, withholding or shorting earned wages. And finally, stealing by falsifying goods and services, we see in Deuteronomy 25, false weights and measures where the dishonest merchant would have two sets of weights, the real set in case he needed to, or a false set, which would be to his benefit. There's no question that the laws of the Old Testament and legalities and punishments were clear in the Old Testament, starting with the death penalty and moving down from there. But let's consider for a moment stealing in the New Testament. <clears throat> like the Old Testament, the New Testament has a single word for that clandestine uh, stealing that is uh, a shadowy and secret. And you already know the word. The Greek word is klepto, where we get kleptomaniac, the irresistible impulse to steal. In fact, every time in the New Testament a partial even list of the Ten Commandments is listed, thou shalt not steal is right there. We see it in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 19. We see it in Mark chapter 10 and Luke 18. And then Paul in his famous listing in Romans 13, it's also mentioned, thou shalt not steal New Testament. We saw a little bit this morning in our confession that what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says about stealing. But listen to the large catechism where 
the sin of theft is expanded and see if you don't recognize some of these sins. <clears throat> Question 42 of the, uh, 142 of the larger catechism says this, what are the sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? And it's just wonderful to listen to these divines' minds click. The sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment, besides the neglect of duties required, are theft, robbery, man-stealing, receiving anything that is stolen, fraudulent dealings, false weights and measures, removing of landmarks, injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between man and man, or in matters of trust, oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, frivolous lawsuits, unjust enclosures, and depredation, that's pillaging, that's a violent stealing, engrossing commodities to enhance the price, unlawful callings, and all other unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from others what is rightfully theirs. Enriching ourselves, covetousness, inordinate prizing and affecting worldly goods, distrustful and distracting cares and studies and getting, keeping and using them, envying the prosperity of others, as likewise idleness, prodigality, and wasteful gaming, and all other ways whereby we do prejudice our own outward estate and defraud others of the due use of their own. Now, we don't have time, obviously, to go into all of those in detail, but just a couple of those are really striking, I think, to where we are in a society today. So common in our day is the injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between man and man. It's almost as if it's nothing to defraud a contract. You know, during the uh, downturn of the economy in 27 and 28, I got a phone call one time from uh, somebody saying that we could get rid of your mortgage or help you out uh, and decrease your rates. You simply need to just not pay your mortgage for three months in a row. Contact us and we'll help you do that. People have no qualms about breaking contracts. But actually, brothers and sisters, uh, I don't think we need a lot of explanation, do we, on what stealing is. I think both men and women, boys and girls, we know, don't we, when we're being sneaky, when we have that heart of a thief that wells up inside with desire, greed, lack of contentment, that jealousy of what others want, it strikes us all. I tell you, and this is a true story, every time I'm in my 13-year-old, well-running, perfectly fine Honda, and I get behind at a stoplight, a brand new Tesla with one of those paper temporary tags on it, I have a tendency just to grab the steering wheel and it wells up. The wants. You know, many of you know, I have a, and all the kids know here, a gumball and candy machine in my office. And it's awesome. 
after service, kids line up and they get their quarters. And a while ago, one of the boys was in there by myself. And he got a quarter and he got a gumball. And I have the, the quarters all in a little tray. And I, I, I never put them all out there just to alleviate the temptation. But, you know, there's always maybe 20 quarters or so in there. This little Redeemer member <laughs> says, uh, Mr. Trickstead, um, could someone just come in here and take all those quarters? And I said, yeah, they probably could. I said, but can you imagine what it would be like sitting in church and feeling that big lump of quarters in your pocket? And he paused for just a minute, went quiet and said, ooh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't lost a quarter that I know of. They're all either on my desk or in the machines. But let's turn to the I would say the text, and we already read it this morning, in the New Testament on stealing, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. And let's go through that one together. Verse 28 of Ephesians 4 says, let the thief no longer steal. And you know, brothers and sisters, sometimes we just need to say, stop it. It's an imperative here. Let the thief no longer steal. You know, Nancy Reagan got all of that heat of the just say no campaign. Well, the idea was, yes, just say no. If you're stealing, stop. If you're cheating, stop. It's just that, that simple. But the Lord doesn't leave us there, does he? Look at the verse. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. I can tell you, if you work a good eight-hour shift with your hands, there's no time for stealing, no time for thinking about it. You're tired. And haven't we lost in our society that work ethic? You know, when I was growing up, if my father was outside working, we had no choice. We were working. And there's something, isn't it, about doing a good, honest day's work how you feel afterwards. And I can remember sitting with my father and my brothers and sisters after a Saturday work day and just having a good feeling being tired and eating a meal my mother had prepared. <sighs> Let the thief no longer steal. Let him work with his, with his hands an honest day. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need to develop the spirit of giving. He's not, Paul is not embarrassed of the imperative to stop. Instead of stealing, let him labor, do work with his hands. Oh, the value of hard work. May our young people learn that and keep it through their lives. This leads to our last point. The heart of a thief overcome and conquered. You know, from the dawn of history, every civilization has had laws against stealing. There couldn't be a successful civilization without it. Yet, there's something unique about these laws that we're reading about today. For stealing in the Scriptures is found really in no other societies. For in every other nation and culture, the stealing is viewed as simply a 
horizontal act. It's committing sin against another person. It's purely horizontal in nature. But for Israel and for us, stealing is also a direct sin vertically against the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You remember when Job was struck with an unbelievable calamity and all of his possessions were taken away. He never complains about the possessions, about losing his property because he recognized and knew that ultimately everything belongs to the Lord. He says in Job 1.21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So when we steal from our neighbor, we are ultimately stealing from the Lord, aren't we? It's God who determines my neighbor has a Tesla and I don't. Everything belongs to him. So how do we overcome this heart that's so prone to wander and steal? We overcome it by first realizing, yes, everything is the Lord's. Have you ever noticed when the Lord addressed stealing directly as it results in tithing? He doesn't use the word secret stealing. He uses robbery, the stealing of violence. And you say, are you going to talk about tithing? Yes, he is. (laughs) Turn really quickly to Malachi chapter 3. Let's look at this wonderful verse that we need to be thinking about more often because it's not only the admonition of the Lord for robbing him, it's this wonderful, unbelievable promise that comes with it. Look at verse 8, Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? That's frightening even to think about, isn't it? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings, contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And look what he says. And this is how the Lord always is, isn't it? He'll he'll condemn, and then he'll give us hope and promise. He says, bring, verse 10, the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to test, saith the Lord. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You know, I've known Christians that have been thieves. I know one that is still in prison for stealing. I have not known that I know of one tithing Christian that is a stealer. Maybe there is. I haven't met him yet. But you say, okay, this is Old Testament. We know that it's grace in the New Testament. And I will grant you that this is Old Testament. I have no, no, you have no argument for me that this is Old Testament. But isn't it interesting what our Lord says specifically about tithing in Matthew chapter 23, 
verse 23, to his friends, the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And then look what he says. These ought you have done. You were doing right by tithing. These ought you have done without neglecting the others. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. We know that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Tithe was 10% in the Old Testament. But where and under any circumstances are things not expanded with grace in the New Testament? I would maintain that a tenth probably should be a starting point for us. But each man, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or in compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you've all heard sermons. Me growing up in an independent Baptist setting, it was every other week. It was either tithing, soul winning, or the Sunday nights were horrible. I had Malachi chapter 3 memorized, you know, within two weeks of being a member. But the point is, uh, we've heard it many times that that word for cheerful is hilarious. It's, a la- it's like where we get our word hilarious, laughter. You say, give me an example of hilarious giving. I'll give you one. You're going to see over the next months uh, work that has been done by uh, our building committee, finance committee over the years of, of really thinking and praying, how, what do we do to expand this sanctuary? And you're going to see it rolled out. And sometime along the way in the next couple months, you may have a conversation like this. We will, I'm, I'm sure, in our house. Already have a little bit. It's like, honey, what do you think we should give to the new building fund? Well, you know, I was thinking we should give this. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> That's hilarious giving. It's giving so that it is way above beyond what you think you maybe can or should do. It's hilarious. It's a giving that just will not stop from the heart. I was reminded the other day uh, that the artists that I love to listen to are old and kind of meaningless now. And I was thinking about this heart of giving, and I, it brought me, brought me to mind one of my favorite songs by Michael Card. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give it up to David being the greatest mu- Christian musician. Uh, I, Michael Card is right up there for me with, my, with him. But he has a song that's called The Things We Leave Behind, where Michael Card in this song talks about Simon Peter and Matthew and once they came to Christ, how these sins that had gripped their heart just go away. 
And of course we know Matthew, the tax collector, and the greedy, and the stealing, and all of his heart. This is what Michael Card says in that song, The Things We Leave Behind. Matthew was mindful of taking the tax and pressing the people to pay. But hearing the call, he responded in faith and followed the light and the way. And leaving the people so puzzled, he found the greed in his heart was no longer around. And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things we leave behind. Every heart needs to be set free of possessions that hold it so tight. With Jesus, our only possession, giving becomes our delight. And we can't imagine the freedom we find from the things we leave behind. How do we overcome that stingy, tight heart that desires what it doesn't have? We overcome by recognizing, first, everything belongs to God, and second, learning to give and give with hearts that are overflowing to serve our Christ. You know, for years, and I don't know how many hundreds, literally hundreds of business dinners and client dinners over the years, we would always uh, tease ourselves as vendors uh, of, of people that have alligator arms. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. Well, that term is that person, and you may be one of them, that is so stingy, so greedy that you, you have a hard time giving anything. And so, you know, we'd all be around and the check would come, and certainly there would be somebody with the alligator arms. I get that check. Oh, you go, oh, oh you, thank you. You know, it's that, I'll get it. Alligator arms. Some of y'all need to grow those alligator arms out. But finally, developing that spirit of giving is good, it's right. Having a work ethic that, that you work for your money, that you're proud of your accomplishments because they've been done lawfully and without sloth. But that spirit of giving will never conquer this heart of ours. We need it conquered. Turn with me finally to Matthew chapter 27. Let's see a heart of theft conquered. Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. These were thieves. We know one of them as the thief on the cross, but yet they were also robbers. Which may, which may indicate a reason why they were hanging on the cross. The two, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down off that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He can't save himself. He's king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross 
and then we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let, him, let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And look at verse 44. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Both of them mocking. But then only Luke records what happens next in Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said simply, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not only his heart of greed overcome, his heart of greed conquered by the Savior. There's only one way for all thieves to conquer their sinful heart, brothers and sisters. He who thought it not robbery to be equal with God took your thieving heart with him to the cross. And only John records the final seconds of these two thieves in John chapter 19, starting at verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation... And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Hanging on a cross, the only way you could breathe was to press up on those spikes through your feet to open your diaphragm to take a breath. So the minute the legs were broken, you could not press up on those spikes, which would be painful enough, and asphyxiation would happen within a matter of seconds after that. That is how the two thieves died. Can you even imagine? Verse 32, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other, we don't know which first was the repentant thief. And the other who had been crucified with him. Can you even imagine that repentant thief who just before had been told by Jesus, you will see me and be with me in paradise? He knows within seconds he's going to see him. And you can't imagine, I can't imagine what was going through his mind. He's suffering enough, knowing and seeing somebody with a club. He's going to break my legs, and I'm dead. Please, Jesus, I hope I see you. Boom! Legs broken, death. And I tell you, he did see him in paradise. Verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, and did not break his le they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood mixed 
with water. And listen to the Apostle John's words here in verse 35. They are just some of the marvelous, most marvelous words in the entire New Testament. He's just explained this that's happened with the blood and water mixed out. And look what John says. He who saw it has borne witness. He's saying, I saw it with my own eyes. His testimony, John's testimony, is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. Why? That you may believe also, just like that thief. Do you believe? As we, as we close, just two final thoughts of application by the way of, of two questions. First, are you really a giver? In, in all ways, not just money, but your time, your talents, and your treasure. Have you really even begun to overcome that greedy heart with learning to give? Christian, I urge you, give up. Your race to acquire will never be won. Just give up. Number two, finally, the last question is not, are you a thief? That's been established. You are. The question is, what kind of thief are you? Are you the repentant thief that has conquered this sin through the blood of Christ or are you that thief that will take that greedy heart with you into eternity? You've had this heart of a robber like me since we were toddlers with our toys. The question you have at hand is, will you be conquered by Christ? You may be feeling that weight even now. You may be hearing that call even now. Will you bow and allow this one who has conquered sin and death to capture and conquer your heart and life? If there was ever an earthly moment, an object lesson that could and possibly change a kid, it was that Saturday night in Milwaukee, Oregon. I stood motionless, didn't move a muscle, didn't touch the bars. I stood there like this, motionless. I've thought about that moment many times. It's been a positive thing in my life. It's been a blessing. But time after time after time, that greed, that envy has never been conquered completely. And it won't until we see Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Will you please make giving our delight? Will you make us men, women, boys and girls of faith take these hearts that are so easily restless and envious of what we don't have 
and transform them into hearts that look for ways to serve you by giving and serving others. May it be so, we jointly pray. Amen. Amen.